Well, praise God, church. It is so good to worship together with you today. And it is a great time to be part of God's church. As we knew, God's church shines best in the darkness, and that's exactly what's happening right now. I'm so glad to be part of a church that is meeting physical needs around our community, meeting social needs as we connect together in groups, and meeting the spiritual needs of those who need the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And it isn't just the church's generically ministry that makes a difference. Your ministry matters right now. Your invitation to your friends to jump onto a Zoom meeting or a Zoom Sunday school class to attend this online worship service, your invitation matters now more than ever. So don't hesitate to invite a friend to watch what we're doing so that they can be a part of it. Also, your giving matters now more than ever. A lot of people aren't able to give because of lost jobs and other sorts of uh, struggles, so your commitment to give right now keeps the ministry of our church moving. And parents, thank you so much. I know you are working overtime right now, but your discipleship of your kids matters more than ever. Thank you for getting them on to the Zoom rooms and getting them to high school night and getting them to small group and kind of being their advocate so that they don't kind of lose those rhythms during this crazy season. Finally, I would just say, friends, your commitment to connection matters more than ever. The notes you're writing, the phone calls you're making, the, the check-ins you're doing, these are essential ways that we care for one another in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this vital work. I want to tell you about next week, uh, we've got a new series coming. It's called Home Improvement. A lot of us are stuck at home, and so maybe you're finally getting around to some of those projects that you've been putting off for months, or maybe you've discovered some new ones around our house. The washer has started leaking. We're not sure why yet, so I've got a new project to do. But in this series, we're asking the question a little differently. We're asking, if your life were a house, what projects would you need to get to first? What would be the, the home improvement projects that would matter most for your life to be the kind of life God wants it to be. But this week, we finish our series, Fearless, a series that I hope you have found, as I have, to be timely, just what we needed in the moment, to be strategic. I hope that every week you've walked away with some strategies you could live out so that you actually would fear less. And of course, every week it's been biblical, straight from God's Word, as we learn how through Christ we can live with less fear. And this week, I am so excited about our last strategy for living with a fearless life. But before I get to it, I have a little bit of a confession to make, and I'm sort of concerned as I share this. Uh, you may respect me less after I say what I'm about to say. This might even affect my leadership, but I'll just come clean. I'm the kind of person who when I'm getting nervous in the middle of a book, I flip to the last page to see what happens. Or if I'm watching a movie and I'm worried a beloved character is going to die, I pull out my phone, I, I Google the plot to find out what's going to happen. Now, I know I'm not very proud of this, but I've just discovered that I like the story better if I know how it's going to end. And that's probably why I like the story of Gideon so much. The story of Gideon is from the Old Testament, the book of Judges, and it is a great story. 
And in the middle, it is just crazy intense. Uh, the Midianites have gathered their allies to attack God's people. Judges 6.33 says, Now all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Uh, Gideon has been challenged to defend God's people, but before he does that, he, he has a conversation with God. He says, look, I need to know, God, if you are going to keep your promises. Judges 6.36, Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, like you said you were going to, as you've promised, uh, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If in the morning there is dew only on the fleece and the ground is dry, well, then I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you said. And so that's what happens. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Now then Gideon said to God, now don't be angry with me. I just have one more request. Allow me one more test. He, he just wants to know, is God going to keep this promise? This time, make the fleece dry. Let the ground be covered with dew. So that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. With the confidence of God having proved the reliability of God's promises, Gideon then sends out messengers to all the tribes and he gathers an army to fight off the invading Midianites, 32,000 soldiers. Not as big as the Midianite army, but still not a shabby force. But then God does the most curious thing. Judges 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength saved me. Announce this to the army. Anyone who trembles with fear can turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, 22,000 men left. 10,000 remained. Two-thirds of the army gone, just like that. But God isn't done. The next verse, the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water. I will thin them out for you there. And God does. Uh, with a test that seems arbitrary to us about how did they drink from a stream, God leaves Gideon with only 300 men. And then the night comes. As Gideon and 300 soldiers face an army of Midianites so vast it could not be counted. God reaffirms God's promise to Gideon that he would be victorious. And then in the middle of the night, they arm themselves with trumpets and clay pots. And they march out into the darkness. At the signal, they blow the trumpets and smash the pots. They shout their battle cry, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. And the armies of the Midianites and the Amalekites and their allies panic. They attack each other and flee in terror and God is victorious. And I wonder, as I read this story and watch the army dwindle and watch them arm themselves with trumpets and pots, how 
could Gideon be so brave? Here he was, the weakest son of the weakest clan. He faced an uncountable army with a dwindling force. He wasn't even given proper weapons to fight with. I think it's because God let Gideon look at the last page. Because you want to know what made Gideon so brave? It was the promise. Remember the one that he checked and double-checked with the fleece? That was the key to Gideon's bravery. He had a promise from God. And I skipped that part of the story because I didn't want to spoil it for you. But Judges 6, 23 tells us the promise. The Lord said to Gideon, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. You see, Gideon had two reasons to fear death at that moment. The, the first is that he has come face to face with, with the messenger of God. And many a times when unholy people approached God, they were injured or even died for the inappropriateness of approaching God as an unholy people. The second is that he is being sent on what seems like a suicide mission. Of course he would worry that he would die. So before God sent him out, before Gideon left God's sight, he gave Gideon this promise. Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And that promise, it, it changed everything for Gideon. When he faced a life filled with enemies, he could fear less because he knew he wasn't going to die. Even when he faced deadly battles against impossible odds, when he knew that death would not be the end of this story, he could fear less. And likewise, Gideon could approach God with less fear. Because to approach God outside the temple in that context without the proper sacrifices and without the proper offerings and without the ritual cleansing, it could be deadly. But Gideon had a promise. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And friends, this is the good news I have for you today. When we face scary times. Our situation is just like Gideon's. Before God asks you to do the scary things, before God sends you out into mission and ministry, before God says, come to me, all you are weary, before God sends you out, before God draws you to him, God gives you the same promise God gave Gideon. Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Gideon was so amazed by this promise and so dependent on this promise that he asked God for, for a fleece to prove the promise two nights in a row. But we don't need a fleece. God has proved this promise in your life and in mine through the resurrection of Jesus. 
This is why Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, reminds them of the hundreds of witnesses to the living of Christ. This is why in our present-day apologetics, so much rests on the historical evidence of the resurrection. If you got questions about that, go back and listen to our sermon from just this Easter about how confident we can be that Christ did rise from the dead. Because if Christ is alive, that is the proof of God's promise that we need not be afraid because we will not die. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits when he comes, and then those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This principle of the first fruits, you see, is what proves that God's promise of life is true for you. You know, uh, the Scott stands haven't opened yet all around town. But if you drive down to Unicoi, I hear you can buy strawberries there already. So if you want to know just how good the strawberry season is, drive to Unicoi and get the first fruits. That's the principle that Paul is relying on. It's an agricultural principle that before the full harvest comes in, a few ears of corn ripen early, a few strawberries get picked first, a few apples ripen first on the tree, and Paul says that Jesus Christ is that for us. His resurrection is the first fruit that proves that God has conquered the grave. Paul goes on, verse 51 of the same chapter, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with the immortal. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that was written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Then then together, we'll get to taunt death. Where is, O death, your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Think what a different world that will be when we can make fun of death. He goes on, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the life of less fear that God gave to Gideon with that promise. Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And this 
is the life of less fear that God wants to give to you. A life where you know the end. A life where it's like in the middle of the movie, you can pull out your phone and Google, does the main character die? And Google says, no. For death has been swallowed up in victory. To make this life of less fear possible for you, God has given you the same promise God gave Gideon. You are not going to die. To accomplish this promise and to prove this promise, God sent Jesus who died on a cross in your place so that you wouldn't have to and who then rose from the dead to prove that the grave has no power over those who are in Christ Jesus. When you trust your life to Jesus Christ, this promise once made to Gideon, proved in the life of Jesus, this promise is now for you. And the implications of this promise, well, they change everything. The letter to the Hebrews says that because of this promise, we can approach God without fear because we will be met by God with mercy. Do you know that? You can approach God without fear. God will meet you with mercy. The second letter to the Corinthians says that we can live in this world generously to all those in need without fear because God will supply our needs. Jesus says we can live without worry because God will take care of us like God takes care of the flowers. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says this. I love the way he puts it. He says, listen, you were dead. I mean, you just were. You were dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made you alive. And now you never need to fear death so you can go and do the work that God has prepared for you and you can do it with less fear. You could even be brave on the mission God has for you. Why? Because the promise of Gideon is your promise. Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So, my dear brothers and sisters, don't waste too much of your life working for this world, for this world's glory, for this world's power, for this world's comfort. And don't waste too much of your life worrying about this world. Worrying about this world's life, worrying about COVID or the economy or politics. For all that is of this world will pass away and be destroyed. The things of this world are fleeting, but not you. You are God's masterpiece and God made you for eternity. And the work God gave you to do the good work God gave you to do, well, it is not in vain. What you do for the Lord will last and it will matter eternally. And you can do that good work. Even when it's scary, even when it's risky, even when it feel, makes you nervous, even when the Midianites are countless and you've only got 300 people and you got a trumpet and a pot and God says, attack, you can do it with less fear because, well, you know why now, don't you? Because God has a promise for you. The same promise God gave to Gideon. Peace, do not be afraid. 
you are not going to die. And because of this promise, the promise that all who are in Christ will not die, you can fear less. You can approach the mercy of God bravely. You can approach the mission of God with less fear. And so I say to you, as Paul said to the church in Corinth, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And you can do this work with bravery, even when it's scary. Because the promise that was once for Gideon is now through Jesus Christ for all of us. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Let's pray. God, let our lives be changed by this promise. Let us sink our root, our lives, and sink our thoughts deep into your assurance that Jesus Christ has conquered the grave, and therefore we need fear nothing, not even death. And lead us out, God, into the mission you have for us, just as you led Gideon. Lead us out with bravery, God, trusting that you have already written the end of our story and that because of your salvation, the end of all things, even our lives, is glorious. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.